Welcome to Mates and Dates, a podcast for young people by young people. We're a team of five from across Sydney and we'll be talking about the experiences of young people becoming independent and building and maintaining healthy relationships. Before we start, we'd like to acknowledge that this podcast is being recorded on Camaragal land and we extend this acknowledgement to wherever you may be listening to this podcast from. I'm your host, Ed, and today I'm joined by Jen. Hello. Hello, Jen. How are you? I am pretty tired, first and foremost. It's very early in the morning. I picked up a coffee on the way, so that's starting to kick in, thank God. So I'm feeling buzzed for the episode. I am a huge fan of our guest today, Georgia Grace. I'm a loyal follower stalker of her Instagram account. I actually interviewed Georgia earlier in the year and she was so insightful. So I'm really keen to chat to her again and hear what she has to say and take on board her advice. How are you going, Ed? I'm pretty good. Probably not as tired, but um, I'm also very excited and curious about this topic. I've dabbled in dating apps unsuccessfully, unfortunately. So I'm definitely keen to hear George's advice on um, how to use online media in a healthy and safe way. And maybe she can even review my profile. Healthy and safe way and more successful as well. More successful, <laughs> get a couple of matches, we'll see. See, this is why Ed has conspired this whole podcast so that he can get yep. the experts to review his profile. Yeah, so I've been, I've been and caught get more out. Matches. I've been caught out. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't I give you some more background on our guest for today? Georgia Grace is a certified sex coach, brand ambassador and qualified journalist. She also has an active presence on social media under the Instagram handle GSpot. Georgia runs sessions aimed at supporting individuals, couples and groups to become more aware of their bodies and sexuality. We're the first sort of generation to grow up with social media and dating apps and unlimited access to free porn. And we're only really starting to see the impact of digital technologies on our relationships. But unfortunately, there hasn't really been any education on how to tackle this with no sort of how-to guide for dummies for online dating and porn consumption. And I feel like online media has also made it so much harder to set boundaries and kind of complicated everything. Like, is it okay to follow hot models on Instagram and react to their content when you have a partner? How do you set clear boundaries in a casual relationship? So we're excited for Georgia to shed light and give us some much needed advice on this topic. So Georgia, welcome to Mates and Dates. So I'm a certified sex coach and um, basically what that means is I work with individuals, couples and groups supporting people to either work through sexual issues or concerns or supporting them in finding out how to explore who they are as a sexual person. Um, My trainings are in the somatics. So essentially what that means is somatic is all about bringing awareness to the body and sexology is the, I guess, scientific study of sex. So I chose to, instead of going to university, go to um, the Institute of Somatic Sexology and did uh, a range of certifications um, with them to really focus on, I guess, my my passion or my interests in the somatics and embodiment. And what, what inspired you to enter that space? I was looking to research that was emerging around the orgasm gap. And it was just all of these um, messages and stories that people weren't having a great time in their bodies um, or in their relationships. So that 
kind of um, sparked me to quit my job and start studying again. That paired also with my, my passion and my curiosity and my interest in the space. And yeah, I, I was looking to the many incredible practitioners who had been working in this field and who had been pioneering and educating for many, many years. And I wanted to learn from them so that I could join that sexual revolution. So as you know, this episode is all about dating and the digital age and digital space. And well, we reached out to listeners to provide sort of topics or questions. And quite a few of our listeners spoke about online dating, providing a temporary confidence boost that often left them feeling quite empty afterwards. So how can we use online dating apps in a healthy way without deriving a sense of self-worth from the amount of matches we get? Oh, it's such a tricky one. <laughs> so hard. <laughs> I've been uh, having similar conversations and reaching out to people about their experiences with dating, particularly through a lockdown and a global pandemic. And we can see it and we can feel it. If you bring awareness to your body when you open an, like a dating app or even social media and you've got a match and it, and it dings, you can almost like feel how your nervous system is responding. It's that, that flooding of um, dopamine or serotonin. So bringing awareness to how your body is responding, knowing that the apps are designed to keep you hooked, to keep you on them. You're identifying that, you know, the initial experience of feeling really great, feeling connected, feeling validated, you know, they're not bad human experiences. They can be really nice to feel, but just bringing your awareness to that moment that it shifts or it changes. When do you no longer feel great? When do you um, think that you need a bit of a break from it? And then doing that, maybe you put your phone down, maybe go outside, get your feet on some grass or call someone who can make you feel good, um, someone you trust and you can speak through any of those sort of responses that you're having. Yeah, no, that's a really important point. A lot of our listeners, when we asked them about this topic, also spoke about how hard it was to communicate what they wanted through dating apps. And like, I think there's a lot of kind of confusion and mixed messaging and you've got the whole ghosting phenomenon. So what advice do you have for young people to be more transparent and to be able to effectively communicate what they would like when they've met someone through an app? Yeah, this is a challenge that I hear all the time. People say, I find it really hard to communicate what I want to need. I don't want to come off being too needy or too keen. Um, and I think we can't underestimate the fact that communication is a skill that most of us have never been taught. And it actually takes a lot of practice. So when you're dating, it really is the perfect time to set the standard of this new skill up front and to say exactly what you need or exactly what you want and to, to be true to your boundaries. Um, I think that, you know, there are definitely ways to go around it for people who are not wanting to come off being bossy. Um, and I, I'm not against being bossy. I think that that can, you know, really support you in, 
making sure you're communicating your wants and your needs. However, there are certain ways to go around it. And it could be, you know, something as simple as looking at safer sex practices and saying, hey, you know, I know we're going back to your place. Um, I only want to have sex with um, physical barrier methods. Do you have any condoms or dental dams at your house? Or checking in with someone when you're on a date, being like, I'm having a really great time. How are you feeling? Um, what, what are you wanting from this? Or if you're checking in or communicating during sex, um, this is not only essential, but it is incredibly sexy. And I think that now it's really exciting that we're seeing this integrated into popular culture. We're seeing it integrated into even shows like The Bachelor. I don't know if any Bachelorette. I don't know if anyone's watching it this season. Um, I think it is the most exceptional season in how it is positioning communication. The women are spectacular in how they speak with Brooke, and you'll often hear things like may I kiss you or I really want to kiss you. How does this feel for you? And I think that that provides a really uh, great, of course, message into how you can easily integrate it. It's also really sexy and really hot. So we see that consent is sexy. Of course, it's essential, but it's also really hot. And also it takes away the awkwardness of not knowing what someone wants. So you know that really awkward moment when you're kind of close to someone's face and you don't know whether you're going to go in, you don't know whether it's like how it's going to go. But imagine if you said, can I kiss you? Or I really want to kiss you right now. Then everyone's clear. Everyone knows what's going to happen. Um, and then of course you can say, no, I, I don't and, and pull away. Um, but it just allows for more of an awareness of what's going on. And I guess when we speak about communication and boundaries, uh, people often think that, you know, it may be too much. But when you create boundaries and you have communication around it, it kind of creates more of a context for knowing, okay, these are all the things that we can do or we want to do or we're excited by. Where are we going to go with that? So it gives more certainty. Consent is involved and, you know, it's really sexy. I think that theme of communication is a skill, mm. something that's really important. I think people don't understand why they struggle and they don't have that context of needing to practice it. They just think it happens instantly. So, yeah, mm. I think that's a really important point. Uh, one of our listeners also said that they were feeling uncomfortable following attractive influences on social media. There's always an argument what's cheating, what's not. Do you think this is a common insecurity, with, especially with young people? And how do you think young people can negotiate these feelings of comparison? Yeah. So I guess that there's two pieces there. There's the um, individual or the couple's idea of what cheating is. And then there is the working with maybe um, your response and how you're feeling. So the first piece, what is cheating? And I, I don't use the word cheating. I would say infidelity instead. And um, I think that what is more useful is for the couple to speak to 
what infidelity is for them. For some people, that might mean sending hot DMs to someone hot on Instagram. But for others, that that won't be infidelity at all. They feel totally fine with that. It's really individual. So it sounds like this person, it could be useful for them to have a conversation about it, to sit down at a time or a context that feels really great or really safe for everyone involved to speak about how you feel about that and um, working with the two concepts or or the, the two approaches that are boundaries and agreements. So boundaries are something that you create for yourself in relation to others. It's something you choose and it's more about sort of letting someone know what what you need or what you want. Agreements are something that you make together. So they're not necessarily rules, but they're coming to this agreement of what's going to make this relationship feel really safe and healthy and fun for everyone involved. Then it's also tackling this idea of insecurities on Instagram. And some people will really actively unfollow people who don't make them feel good about themselves because if you are constantly, every time you open your phone, constantly comparing and and feeling unworthy and feeling not hot or not great, then of course that is going to have an impact on how you feel in your relationship and your body. Then the other piece to that is the comparing um, yourself to people on Instagram. And I think it is very human (laughs) that if you're seeing this life or this body or obviously it's very curated. And I think that we can never underestimate how we forget that life on social media is curated and we just think, wow, this person has this exceptional life, they look so confident and to, I guess, have some choice as to who you follow and who you engage with, because of course that has an impact on how you feel in your body and your relationship. I have been speaking with a few people around how they felt in their bodies during lockdown. And it was actually really interesting to hear that a lot of people have felt even more confident or even better about themselves and their bodies because they weren't comparing themselves to where people were at in their lives or what they were doing or not doing. And it kind of allowed them to come back to, you know, who they are and what they want and how they feel in their body rather than just always looking to other for how they should be thinking or feeling. So social media is so incredible for so many reasons, but it's also so damaging for so many reasons too. And um, maybe it is that opportunity just to challenge how you're thinking and feeling and where these messages are coming from. Yeah, 100%. And with um, the way couples are portrayed on social media, How does this differ from the types of relationships you see in your day-to-day work? Oh, I mean, (laughs) it's just obviously you don't share the fight that you're having over someone, you know, leaving skid marks in the toilet. Like (laughs) 
it's just, you just don't see, like, that's not beautiful or fun content. So, yeah, I mean, I work with people who identify that they have issues or concerns. So people will come to me um, to speak about the things that aren't going well and they need support with it. Yeah, it's it's completely different. And I think that when it comes to sex and desire and libido, we often see these images or this portrayal of relationships or couples online being very intimate and kissing, holding each other, going out for romantic dinners. And those very people can also have issues or concerns with how much they desire sex or how much they have sex. And as a result, that can feel really isolating for them and for, you know, anyone who's looking at this. Uh, In your work with young people, how do you think porn has shaped So how they think relationships and how they think the experience of sex should occur. Because obviously we're the first generation that porn has been free, easily accessible and just been the biggest thing on the internet since it was created. Yeah. So porn shapes how we think and feel about sex. Um, I, I think for many young people, this was their first introduction to what sex is. And you know, I'm not against porn. I think that porn certainly has its place for adults who can identify that it, it is a performance. If you consume it with awareness and mindfulness, and if it's not having an impact on your relationship, sexual function, how you feel in your body, um, that it can certainly be a really fun, exciting thing to explore on your own or with other. But because the majority of people haven't received thorough, shame-free, sex-positive, inclusive sex education, um, porn has become sex education for many people. And we really do need to emphasize that porn is not sex ed. It is a medium that is there to build arousal in your body. I I think that if we can start also bringing education around what porn is into sex ed and how it can inform and shape how you think and feel about sex, it's essential. But a lot of people want to steer clear from speaking about porn because I guess it is a really loaded topic. For someone listening who sort of self-reflects and realises, oh, I may have been consuming porn in the wrong way or it became a drive in my life or because it's also another level of addiction for a lot of people. Do you have any advice on how to reframe that mindset? Yeah, so if you are identifying that it's an addiction, I would firstly recommend seeking professional support. You don't have to figure this out on your own. Um, There are amazing practitioners out there who can really help you with this. For those who identify maybe it's not an addiction, but they do really rely on it, there's lots of things that you can do. So yes, professional support, but then it could also be really clear on if you can start exploring your body and sex without stimulus. And sometimes that can feel like you're relearning how to build arousal in your body because you may become or feel like you're reliant on the visual stimulus to build arousal. If I was working with someone 
um, in session and giving them some homework, what I would do is set them a few practices to relearn how to build arousal, how to touch their body. And that might even be through practices of learning about breath, movement, sound, touch and placement of awareness, finding ways to come back to their body um, and to find ways to regulate and build arousal in their body. I Again, I don't think that, you know, fantasizing or watching porn is inherently bad, but if it is having an impact on, on you and, and how you feel and also you want to explore something in a different way, there is a lot that you can do. Yeah, that's really great advice. It's definitely a really important topic. One of our listeners also wrote in that they were quite shocked and hurt to find that their partner was watching porn. Do you see couples setting boundaries around porn? Mm, yeah, so I, I possibly would say this is a two-part process. So firstly, working with the individual who was upset that their partner has watched porn, getting really clear on why is this upsetting? How has this had an impact on you? Um, is it that you feel insecure? Is it that you feel that you aren't ever going to have sex like a professional or like this, this person or these people in porn? So giving them the support that they need to feel, you know, great and comfortable, safe, and to have a sense of control in their body. But then, uh, as I kind of spoke to before, when we're talking about boundaries, boundaries are something that you set for yourself in relation to other. So their boundary may be, I'm not going to watch this specific kind of porn because it is having an impact on how I feel in my body or how I feel in my relationship. Though you can work to relational agreements. So that would be agreeing on what feels great and safe for, and, and respectful for everyone involved. And for the other partner, that might be, you know, a, a, a no-go. They, they may think, well, I, porn and, and this and exploring my sexual life beyond the relationship is really important to me. So you, you do have to work that out. So, yeah, it's a tricky one. Um, in order to create safety for yourself, people often want to make rules for others. Though when it comes to sexual relationships, it's a bit more dynamic than that. Do you think there's ever a place for imposing rules on another person? Do you think you can have that expectation? Oh gosh, this is a this is a really interesting concept. I guess for if I were to work with a couple and one of them is wanting to put rules on the relationship or rules on the other person, I'd want to get really clear on what it is that these rules are um, giving them. Is it that it's giving them a sense of safety, a sense of control, a sense of knowing who they are in the relationship? And instead of working out or, or putting these rules on the individual, I'd really work to find certain relational agreements instead because it is uh, a really tricky place to exist, especially because so much of how we've understood sex and how we've learned about sex is around rules, being told how we should have sex, shouldn't have sex, what's shameful, what is okay, the relationship structures. So, yeah, I'd work to agreements and instead of looking at 
making someone do something for you because actually that may be um, asking for too much or that may be convincing, coercing, persuading someone to give you what you want um, when they can't give it with a full heart. Have you seen a um, pleasure gap between men and women when working with couples? Yes. So basically the the pleasure gap is in cis-hetero relationships, cis men are experiencing more pleasure and coming more often. But when we look at how people are having sex, this is because a lot of people still define sex as being penetration or being genitals penetrating each other. And that, of course, is one really great way to have sex, but it's just one way to have sex. And if we're looking at the structure or the anatomy of a cis woman and having a clitoris, the majority of people need some form of external clitoral stimulation in order to experience climax. And because we're not including that into our definition of sex, lots of women aren't climaxing or experiencing pleasure as much as cis hetero men. So I, I've seen it, the research has shown it, and um, I think we do still really need to redefine sex to be a whole range of sexual experiences. And what advice do you have for women who are trying to kind of navigate that and ensure that the sex they're having is more equal and they're experiencing mutual reciprocal pleasure? Mm, I actually think it, it is an individual's responsibility to bring their pleasure front of mind. So if you don't ask for what you want, you're probably not going to get it. If you don't explore your body, it, it may be tricky for you to communicate what you want and what you need. So your pleasure is your responsibility. And it's also the responsibility of the other individual to get a sense of you know, what they could do to redefine sex together. What can they do to create a safe space for someone to communicate what they want or need? What can they do to attune to someone and think, oh, they look distant or distracted or frustrated? What could we do to have sex in a different way? So I think ultimately no one's going to know what you want unless you ask for it, unless you communicate it. And if you're having sex with people, what can you do to make sure it is a mutual, um, mutually pleasurable experience for everyone involved? And how do you think that gender roles impact our experiences of sex and relationships? Yeah, I mean, gender roles affect everything. Um, and these are roles that we have been taught from, you know, the moment that a nappy is put on us and it has like princesses. Totally gender roles are existent, um, but they're also incredibly binary. And because of that, you know, I work with cis men who really struggle to be vulnerable, who feel really concerned that their body isn't responding in the way that when they um, their penis isn't erect and, and ready to go or they come too quickly or they don't come at all, they think, well, what's wrong with me because my gender has told me that I should be erect and hard and ready to go at any given moment. And of course, that's a, you know, a huge amount of pressure and as a result can have an impact on how they feel in their, their bodies. 
it also doesn't allow for softness and vulnerability and slowness and, you know, a tuning in. And then, of course, the the gender roles of what it is to be a a sexual woman, um, to be soft, to be feminine. I think now it is really great to see so many um, people who are challenging what that means for them um, and really thinking about how they feel in their body and ridding ourselves of these gender roles that are so limiting and so binary. I think it is an ongoing inquiry. I think it's really useful to get professional support if you if you feel like you need it um, or to speak with someone who's trusted to follow practitioners or activists or, you know, incredible thought leaders in the space. What about gender roles in the sense like expectations like women are natural givers, those sort of assumptions, how does that, how do you see that feed into relationships? Mm, Yeah. I I mean, I like to question, are you a natural giver or do you just feel uncomfortable receiving? I think a lot of the time people who feel really vulnerable to, to receive or to ask for what they want or to release into pleasure, they may sort of sit within the giving role because it's almost like, I can do this. I know I've got this skill down. I know I can, you know, focus on that and distract from the fact that I don't want to receive. So for anyone who's um, wanting to explore this, I'd always recommend looking at Dr. Betty Martin's work, um, The Wheel of Consent, uh, works through four different roles that we can play. And I think in, so so those four roles are serving, accepting, taking and allowing. But it is really interesting to get a sense of maybe which roles you're currently in and which roles you would love to practice or maybe would be your learning edge. So it feels a little bit uncomfortable or clunky for you to be in. Um, and when I'm sort of mapping out this sort of wheel in workshops or in session, often people will identify that when you're a good giver, that makes you a good lover. And that's not always the case. I think to be a great, a great lover or to be someone who, you know, is really present and aware is to be able to explore these four different roles. Because if you're always in the giving and you feel all of these wonderful things of feeling good, capable, generous, um, like you're a great lover and all of these, you know, great things that come with giving. Um, and your partner's always in, in the receiving and they get to feel the pleasure, they get to feel seen, they get to, you know, release into being um, taken care of in, in whatever sense. Um, you're, you're both experiencing these, you know, wonderful things, but you don't get to tap into the other roles. So, um, yeah, it is a practice. I think if you're naturally a giver, ask yourself what's getting in the way between you and really receiving and what can you do to try these different roles. And do you have any further advice for young people trying to navigate the whole world of dating and in such a formative period of their life? Mm. Yeah, I think for young people who are emerging out of a lockdown 
like I am, like all of us are here, times, you know, it's changed and you, it's been a really tricky time for everyone for many different reasons. So it will take some time to feel like you're developing these skills again or to feel really comfortable or confident. So know that that's really human, really common and very expected right now. You're certainly not alone. That's really great advice. Thank you so much for your time. It was so lovely chatting to you again. Thank you so much for having me. And I just can't wait to hear all of the conversations you've been having. Thank you so much, Georgia. We really enjoyed that conversation. I think the point about dating apps and validation and how to approach using dating apps healthily, it was interesting for me because it made me reflect on my own experience and just the fact that, you know, recognizing, do I feel good while using these apps and taking time to just put them away and let them have their space. And the point about comparison and validation is a real challenge because, you know, you can't help it but see your friend's profile and see how many likes they've got or how many matches they've got. And it's almost impossible not to compare, but it's, you know, <laughs> that that really lame, you know, motivational speaker of saying, taking pride in your own experience because it's only your experience. You can't compare yourself with others and um, it only takes one hottie, one little match and it changes everything, you know, just doesn't doesn't matter how many, it's quality over quantity. <laughs> what, what do you think, Jen? I agree with that. I think it's so important just to like be mindful of how it actually makes you feel like are dating apps making you feel negative about yourself or like are you tying your worth to them because I think a lot of people do and like it's like a very much a quick hit it's not sustainable it's not ongoing happiness or fulfillment so I think just like any media like it's so important just to be aware of like the effect that it's having on you Mm, and also to remember that like tinder's being designed and software is being designed to be a like a gambling app. It's actually highly addictive and that's the whole point. So it's not your fault, it's the app's fault. That's, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> I thought George's conversation about um, porn was really interesting and such an important conversation to be having. I think the fact that she kind of explained that porn is a performance, it's not real sex. Like we know that consent happens between the actors, but it happens off screen. So it doesn't model like healthy boundaries. It doesn't model proper communication or consent or even mutual pleasure. So I think a lot of people need to remember that it's just like it shouldn't be looked at as inspiration. It shouldn't be looked at as reality because that's just not the case. And it does have really harmful, harmful consequences as Georgia kind of discussed, especially for, um, for women where, when a lot of porn like is quite degrading towards women and involves quite violent acts that just have no kind of consent involved at all. And I think like that shifting mindset is actually quite difficult because when the average age of someone first consuming porn is 11, you know, we've been in our age group, it's taken up more than half our life. You know, people watch, I, you know, I watched porn before I even was wearing deodorant or knew what puberty was. Like, it's just so backwards. So, you know, it's quite difficult to change the way you think about ethical porn consumption and um, sort of shifting that mindset of maybe like just blankly and going to cruise control when you're watching it, but actually critically thinking what I'm watching, is it safe? Or, you know, if I was in their experience, would I probably wouldn't enjoy it because there was no consent 
and there was just action. Yeah. And on consent as well, like I think I found it really refreshing to hear Georgia say that you get to make your own rules in a relationship. Like you get to decide what's cheating for you and your partner. Like you don't have to kind of subscribe to these like outside models, which tell you this is how you have to live your relationship. This is cheating. This isn't. And I think like when it comes to digital media and we're talking about like your partner following, um, girls on Instagram or whatever it might be. I think that is for the couple to discuss and decide what works for them. And like one thing for one person that might be crossing a boundary that might be cheating. And I think for another, it might not be like people have open relationships. Yeah. I think it just comes down to communication and talking with your partner and seeing where you're both comfortable and, and um, being able to set those boundaries together. Every relationship is different. So yeah, just all about communication. If you enjoyed our chat with Georgia, I recommend following her Instagram at GSpot. It is very insightful. She posts really kind of interesting and thought-provoking content. So I highly recommend that. But if you are looking for other resources about this topic, I will throw it to Nina. Hey, everyone. I don't know about you, but I've learned more about sex, consent and pleasure from following experts on social media than in my 13 years of schooling. Big shout out to legends like Georgia Grace and Chantelle Odden, who've dedicated their careers to providing us with the sex ed that we never received. Here's to no longer relying on the Dolly Doctor Sealed section for crucial information. We've linked both their Instagram handles in the show notes. Georgia also offers counselling sessions, group events, courses and other resources which you can check out through her website. If you're looking for more in-depth learning, The Modern Guide to Sex is a video course which offers tips on improving confidence, communication and practical exercises to level up your sex life. The course is $29 or free if you're a student. If you're curious to learn more about topics like online dating etiquette, ghosting and porn, we recommend checking out The Hookup on Triple J. They discuss all things love, sex and relationships. You can listen through Apple Podcasts and ABC Radio. And finally, if you're in need of medical support and are based in Sydney, Clinic 16 is a free, confidential sexual health service which offers counselling, testing and GP support. Links for everything are in the show notes, so be sure to check it out. This episode of Mates and Dates was hosted by Edward Giles and Jen Trimstra. Producers are Sarah Sue and Donna Siramana. Executive producer is Stephanie Aceclave. Additional production and mixing by me, Nina Longfellow. Special thanks to Natalie Patterson, Lily Giles, and of course, Georgia Grace. Check us out on Instagram, at Mason Dates. Thanks for listening. Listener.